set it off. Take a stick of dynamite, set it out in the street, set it off. It'll make a big noise according to how much powder it has in it. But you can find either one of those and you compress them into a closed environment when they go off, they go off. And I believe God is getting ready to do something in our community. Can't speak for the rest of the world. The brothers that we meet with every Sunday, now we talk about this. God is getting ready to pull something off. And part of what's going to take place is going to have to deal with religion and relationships. And I talked to you several weeks ago about religions and relationships. If our religion doesn't have relationships in it, then our religion is really not a religion. It's a human philosophy. But when you put relationships into what you believe and you begin to work together as a team of people, you can do what otherwise isn't doable. And so today we're going to talk about putting another R in. The first was the rat race, then the cultural race, and today we're going to talk about the real race. And the real race is literally a race. The Bible talks about a race being defined as humans competing with against one another. And so when we're in competition with one another, like faiths do, whether you're Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic or Pentecostal, whatever the case is, what it boils down to is understanding that the real race is a race that's tearing down the church, and it's a race race. A race race in terms of the race of people. Races against races. White against black, against yellow, against brown. Cultural divisions and all the things that separate people. Because we have a hard time being individuals in who we are. If you're white and you walk into a black church, if you're black and you walk into a white church, if you're black and you walk into a Hispanic church, and as the story goes on, God is getting ready to tear down the racial walls. The walls are coming down. And you might think that's going to be easy, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to cost. There's going to be a price to it. And so Ecclesiastes 9.11 says this, I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Listen to what he says. Nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding. Listen to what's happening. Nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. What he says is, what we consider as divisions, God sees as unity. Because when your significance and your giftings are coupled with other people who don't have the same giftings, what you do is you create a greater influence. One who's good at something with another who's good at something else, with another who's good at something else. When you put them together and they work as a team, they can do what otherwise can't be done. And the church in America is failing. I can't speak for anybody else. I don't live there. 
But the church in America is failing, and we as shepherds understand that, and we understand to some degree why. Because we've been in competition. Who can be the biggest? Who can have the greatest campus? Who can have the most influence? Who has the best television program? Who has the most people showing up? None of those things can produce what true unity between one, two, three, four, or five people who will simply come together to do what can't be done by individuals. And so it mat- it's a matter of teamwork. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 says, I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all. In other words, he's saying in a long roundabout way, if you and I bring to the table what our capacities are and what our abilities are and what our culture has and what our character has and confine them according to scriptures and apply them according to the word of God, then there is no limit to what we can do if we'll tear down the cultural walls. If you tear down the cultural walls, you begin to destroy prejudice. And prejudice is simply favoritism one over another. And favoritism, according to the world system, is doled out by who has the most influence, who has the most power, and who has the most money. Because it's influence and power and money and all of those trappings that the world sees as power and God sees as weakness. God sees those things as weakness. And so God doesn't necessarily show up for those who have put their confidence and their power in their giftings and their talents and their possessions and all the things that they have. God can do with one or two, I should say, two what a thousand can't do. There's a story in the Old Testament where two came together and accomplished what nobody else could do. Whole armies couldn't accomplish. And they came together and they simply did what they did for the sake of the purpose of the kingdom. And the process of what's taking place in the body of Christ today, and we're going to get to the scriptures here in a minute, but we understand that God is tearing down walls. And I'm going to go on record. I want, I want the walls that I don't know about. You're staring at me. Okay. The walls I don't know about, I want them to be exposed. Because when those walls are faced and confronted, we can do together what we otherwise have not to this point been able to do. Now, I'm not trying to philosophize this morning, and I'm, I know I'm kind of taking a little bit of a different course as I normally would, but I want you to hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to pick it up in verse 22. Listen to what he says. To the weak, I became 
That's weak. In other words, he didn't see. Here's Paul. This is Paul. <laughs> he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is the preeminent Christian in the first century. Okay? Listen, he says, uh, I have no problem coupling and connecting myself with somebody else who doesn't have my capacities. I have no problem. So listen to what he says. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. In other words, he said, I've come together with people that, 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 that are weak in, in comparison to me, Paul says. I come together with them because I recognize that without their gifting, See, I view others, Paul says, I view others as weak because I don't have a relationship with them. I don't really know about them. Have you ever met somebody and thought, well, this person's a train wreck? <clears throat> and then as you get to know them, you find out that they survived a wreck you would have died in. Are you with me? In other words, your initial opinion and your initial idea about the person now changes when you get to know them and when you get to understand. So listen, 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. He says, this is how the gospel is administered to people, that we stop looking at people according to their, their skin tone, their nationality, their economic position, how they're dressed, what they talk like, what they look like, what they even smell like. And so we understand, he says, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receives the prize, so then run that you may obtain. In other words, what's the prize? The prize he's talking about right here is to win the race, and that's the human race to win the race that we're no longer in competition with one another, that I finish the race. Paul says, to win the race is to finish the race. To win the race doesn't mean beat somebody else. To win the race means to do the race successfully to the best of your ability. Now, I'm going to run a risk. I'm going to show you some pictures of something. The media doesn't know where I'm going. But I want to show you a picture. There's a, there's, for years, uh, probably eight, uh, eight years ago, I was, I was a, a cyclist, road cyclist. And um, we cycled all the time. I mean, I've, Susan knows. I mean, we'd, we had no problem. We'd leave at 7 o'clock in the morning from Burger King over by the mall, and we would ride out to Amagoni. Now, we're road cyclists. You know, the little skinny little tires, not the big, you know, <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we would head out Domagoni, ride out around Lake Elsinore, turn around and ride back. Those were conditioning rides. And you had to make a decision before you set out on the ride that you were going to finish the ride. Because if you get out to Lake Elsinore and you don't want to finish the ride, you have a really big problem. Because <laughs> there ain't nobody else going to finish for you. You're going to have to do this on your own. So, so and I'm going to give you this as an example because you have to run the race understanding what it means to win the race, okay? Now, I don't know if media, you, you have my pictures. Give me the first one. I don't know which one's going to come up. 
Okay, that's, that's, uh, I was in the Palm Springs uh, for four years. I ran, I r rode the Palm Springs uh, Century Ride. It's a 100-mile race. And uh, that's, oh, God, I wish I was that guy. Okay, um, give me the next picture. Okay, now here's a picture of people coming. 10,000 cyclists from around the world show up in Palm Springs every year. And they run the Palm Springs Century. And the problem is, is that I've got the best bike I can afford. Susan didn't know it, but it took me eight months to build the bike you saw, part by part, make it as light as possible. Now, stay with me because I'm, I'm headed for something. In the race, I had to recognize that I was running the race, and in the race were professionals, people who rode the Tour de France, the most uh, influential uh, race, uh, cycling race in the world. So I'm in this race with 10,000 people. Is there any hope I'm going to win? Thank you <laughs> for your support, okay? <laughs> now, the process is you couldn't stop just anywhere. On the 50th mile, you were halfway away and halfway back, and you weren't going to, what were you going to do? You're going to have to make a call. So you finished the race. Now, here's the reason I bring this up. I went into the race four times, and I ran the race, and I finally figured out how to run this race. I figured out I'm not going to win. Right? There's no way. I mean, you get guys who run the Tour de France, okay? So when I went into the race, what's the purpose of the race if you don't think you can win? Because I decided I wasn't racing against everybody else. I was racing against me, right? And, and the issue is to make a determination that you're going to finish the race well, whether you're ahead of anybody else or you're the last one. You run the race to do it right. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about. Listen to what he says, verse 23. And this I do for the sake that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize, so then run that you may obtain. Well, if somebody else got the prize, why is he saying you obtain? Because you obtained because you did what you knew you were supposed to do. And you did it, you did it with confidence and to the best of your ability. You're not going to live your relationship w with Jesus with other people perfectly. I can prove it to you. Let me follow you tomorrow. Somebody's going to pull in front of you. <laughs> right? Are you with me? And so what Paul's after, listen to what he says in verse 25. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it, do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. We're in a race. We're not in competition with other churches. 
We're in a race to win individuals. People are not numbers to God. And God sees everybody, you and me, even in a crowd, no matter how large the crowd is or how small the crowd is. And the mission and the purpose as we enter into the coming year, even though we're only weeks away, is that we learn what Paul is saying about running the race. Pick it up in verse 25. Every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. For I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air. In other words, I'm not doing this without a purpose and a cause. How many people have suffered the blight of going to church without a cause? And their cause has to go to church to not, to, to, to not compete with the world, but compete with yourself. And deal with yourself so that you and I walk out into a world as an example of true Christianity, how that we are not influenced by race, color, or creed. We treat everybody with respect, even if they pull out in front of us. And that we understand that our mission, we so complicate the gospel. I do sometimes. I complicate the gospel because it's not hard if we understand that the only thing that we can do to actually deliver the gospel is treat others with respect. The gospel starts right there. And so listen to what he goes on, verse 26. I therefore run, not as one uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air. But I, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I had preached to others, I myself have, um, have acted as a, ga- a castaway. So in other words, here's what we're after. And, and I know sometimes, you know, people come to church and they, they just want to, you know, you know you, we all want to be pumped up. Anybody here need to be encouraged? Okay. So in the process, we understand that the goal, the mission of the church, as we see it and as we see it as a church, is to open our hearts up to people that it's not about crowds. It's about individuals. I believe the church in America is disintegrating. I really do. Say, well, why would you say that? That's not very true. Because the church in America is dead on arrival right now. It's not doing what it should do, and that includes us, me. I'm not pointing at you. And if I do point at you, I got four coming back at me, or three. Well, it depends on whose hand you're using. Okay. (laughs) Does that make sense? In other words, our goal, our mission is to not go to church and be entertained, because I know you don't do that, because we don't offer that good of entertainment. (laughs) I'm proof. Okay. But we, uh, now don't get me wrong, the worship team, they're great. <laughs> Look at, hi, Lynette. Hi. Hi, you guys. But the point isn't to be the best, it's to do what we were called to do, to be the best we can be. That we enter into that race knowing 
We're not going to win it. We're not going to do the best everybody else is going to do. We're going to do the best I could do. And I want to tell you, the first time I ran that century race, I thought I gotta go to hell. I gotta go to heaven because I've just ridden in hell. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it was crazy, but it was so exciting when I got to the finish line, and I crossed the finish line, and thousands of people were ahead of me. Thousands of people were ahead of me. Probably only four behind me, okay? <laughs> but the point was, is when I crossed that line, I knew I'd done my best. I knew I'd given it my all. Don't allow yourself to compete with other people. You have a message. Your life is a message. Your life speaks something to other people. You say, well, well, I don't... I don't know my Bible that well. Well, well, you know, if you're going to make your Christianity knowing about your Bible, let me give you a word of knowledge here. It isn't how much of the Bible that you know, it's how much of the Bible you do. Does that make sense? And so we understand that our relationships with one another are contingent on the real race and the real purpose. If you go back to the origin of the problem, go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, can you take another couple minutes? Good, because the doors are locked. Okay. Now, what I want you to see here is... Um, in Genesis chapter 3, we know after the fall. Pardon? Go to 3. Go to 3. Go to 3. Genesis chapter, uh, no, go to 4. You know how you keep your mind clean? Change it often. Okay. Okay. Chapter Four, verse 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? What's just happened, as you well know, if you read your Bible, you know that Cain killed Abel. And uh, so he kills Abel because Abel was doing something he thought he should get credit for. And so it says, and verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where's Abel, thy brother? And he said, I don't know. I'm, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries out unto me from the ground. It's interesting that that word blood there, you want to circle that in your Bible, because that word blood there is plural, and it means in the Hebrew culture. And if you understand that <clears throat> the assassination of cultures and races right now, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. That when we view ourselves as better than another race or culture or less than another race or culture, we are violating the basic tenets of Scripture. And so we understand what happens in verse 11. And now art thou cursed for the earth, 
which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. In other words, God says, listen, here's the problem. You're not promoting others. You're competing. You're competing with your brother. Because when you look at what your brother had and what your brother did and what your brother accomplished, you use that to put yourself down because you aren't satisfied with what God designed you to do. Now, we're talking about two brothers in the book of Genesis. And the issue is, is that Cain slew Abel because Cain competed with his brother for the grace and the mercy and the love of God and ended up killing his brother out of his own choices and his own decisions. And ultimately, it's from that place right there. Cain's blood cried out from the ground in cultures. And when you pit one culture against another culture, you've gone all the way back to the origin of the fall. And you and I can no longer accept, embrace, or allow, without addressing it, racial indifference, cultural indifference. We cannot and shall not accomplish the mission, the task that is before us as Christians in a world that is coming unraveled, that we have maybe a last opportunity. If Jesus does come back during this time, if he does come back, we have a chance, we have an opportunity to influence people, not for our own gain, but for their gain. That when we put the betterment and the mercy and the grace of God on other people, over our own, then we can enter a race with 10,000 people and not lose the race. There's no way you can lose the race. And so in the process, what we see here is a, a multicultural issue, that there's something has to happen about ethnicity and what's happening in the church today. And so I believe it sounds like I'm, I'm down on the church. I'm not down on the church. I'm a part of that. But if we understand that the purposes of the kingdom of God is to win people and to love people and to be gracious to people, and going to church isn't going to do that. Going to church isn't going to produce that. Now, I'm not against going to church, obviously. Right? Right? But we understand that I'm not in competition with you. And if you have something and do something better than I do, or you have more of something I think I ought to have, I can celebrate your success. I don't have to defeat you to show you you are filled with love and respect, and I'll treat you in righteousness whether you're living on one of the houses on top of the hill or behind a dumpster. You are equal in the eyes of God. If you believe that, give him a praise. Cain slew Abel because he was jealous. Cain slew Abel because Cain felt he was more righteous and justified than his brother. And I believe something is beginning to, 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 to shift in the church in America 
and for you as an individual. Let's finish with this this morning. How can we get back to the place of self-respect? Where we begin to understand who we are. And you understand your value and your purpose. Jesus came into the world to restore the value of humanity. To love and respect people regardless of their status in life. Jesus could kneel with a prostitute and draw pictures in the dirt in her defense and soil his robes simply because he's the message to us. And I would say to us today, I know this has been a hard word. I know it's a sobering word. But if God would give us the ability, give us the grace, give us the mercy to be compassionate with people, to be more gentle with people, be more respectful of people. And man, I'm telling you, I am not pontificating. I, am, I do not want you to go out of here thinking more highly of me than I am. I can prove it. Pull out in front of me. You're laughing because you know. And so we, we, we understand that. It, how can we go from here today at, uh, to lunch and go into Christmas and understand the meaning of all this? It's all about relationships with people. And it's about how we treat and how we show respect and love for one another, regardless of how difficult somebody's life is that we place our own value on what we have and what we're possessed by and what we own, that's not your value. Your value is based in Jesus who died on the cross to pay for your life. And every soul that we encounter, I personally believe, and I give you my word, I'll finish with this, every soul we encounter and how we treat them. Now, you don't have to believe this for yourself. You're going to believe this for me. I'm going to answer for how I handle it. I'm going to answer. And if I'm going to answer, I want to win this race. Because I'm not racing against you. I'm racing against me. And as we go from here today, you're going to sit down at lunch. You're going to be with family and friends. You're going to go to work this week. You're going to do what you do. And when, when you do so, when you go out of here today, the only thing I ask of you is that you remember your own value. And you remember this 65-year-old idiot in the Palm Springs race who was just racing with herself. That's all you need to do. Win your own race. Be the best you can be. Do the best you can do. Touch the people you can touch. Move the lives that you can move. Because that's the only race you're going to win. Every other race you're going to lose. 
And that's what Paul said. I entered into the race, and Paul said, I'm not competing with everybody else. I'm competing with myself. How can I treat people the way they need to be treated? What a powerful word. Now, let's finish with this. The greatest gift of all is knowing Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, knowing where you're going, knowing that there is eternal life, that Jesus came into the world as a child, grew up as a full adult, lived life, went through everything in life. They crucified him. He died, took your and my sins on himself, and to prove that you're forgiven, he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he said, all I want to do is I want to touch your heart. I want to come into your life. I want you to know the truth about the kingdom. And the truth about the kingdom is God loves you just the way you are. And when we approach people in that manner, and you you know you're in you're in the line you're in line at Stater Brothers and somebody's behind you, they're captive. And you love people with grace and mercy, and you do everything you can do. Because, you know, for all the theology and all the great sermons and all the great music and all the great messages, it all boils down to what are we like when we walk out the back door? How do we treat people and show respect and love? God so loved you that he came into this world, and to prove it, he came into this world to be just like you, except to do what you and I can't do, do it right, and then say, here's my life, live life. Because if you don't know Jesus and you've just heard what I'm talking about, you're thinking, well, that's hopeless. And without Jesus, you're a wreck. But if you'll invite Jesus into your life, he can change your life forever. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus coming into this world to share love and respect generosity, caring, mercy, and all the things that we struggle to do with other people when they're mean and they're rude and they're crude and they're angry and they're bitter. We cry out for your mercy. And I ask you this with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, say, well, wait a minute, I've been going to church most of my life. I'm here in church today. Well, that, that's not what I'm asking you. I say, do you know where you're going when you die? Because nobody's getting out of this life alive. Do you know where you're going when you die? If you don't know you're going to be with Jesus, then you know about him, you don't know him. Please, every head bowed and every eye closed, start praying. I want to ask you this simple question. If you don't know where you're going when you die, and you'd like to meet that Jesus we've been talking about that Paul wrote about, and you want to live that life that you've heard us talk about, but you don't know how to do it, then you simply look up at me. I'm going to stand right here in the center aisle. You look up at me, and if I don't see your eyes, you wave your hand. That's your way of saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to live that life that you just talked about. Come across the room. I don't miss this chance. And if you put your hand up and I don't see it, and wave your hand at me. I'm going to come back one more time. 
Don't miss this chance. Yes, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this chance. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. You as well. You know what? I'm going to come back one more time. Some, yes, ma'am. God bless you. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Back over here. Keep praying, saints. Keep praying. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Over here. Over here. Is that you, sir? Look up at me, church. There's four people. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer. And you know what? Let the love of Jesus just envelop you. You're going to enter into a race. You can't lose this one. You cannot lose this one. You just made a decision to get into the race, and now you know you can't lose it. Just do your best. You don't, don't use anybody else as your example except Jesus. Jesus is your example. You live for him, and you can't fail. Pray this with me out loud. I give my life to Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. Father raised him from the dead. He's forgiving me of my sin. And I declare by faith that I'm saved. I'm going to live my life from this day forward for Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. Okay, now here's the deal. If you looked up, all I ask you to do is before you leave today, you see Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve's over here in the corner. Now, he's going to be cruising around the building and the property. You don't have to make a big to-do about it, but we want to pray with you. We want to believe God with you. We want you to know what you're entering into. Pastor Steve will connect you. He'll do what needs to be done. Please give us a chance to help you walk this out, okay? Church, would you stand? Everybody turn around, face the back wall. Read the sign over the door with me out loud. Ready, go. You are now entering to the mission field. See ya.
darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt The morning you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was made for good.